leaking water all over the place this week. Welcome to Hand of Pod. On the recording studio, indeed. Yeah, which um, another yellow card for you, Joel. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I suppose technically I'm suspended right for the next week. If you, if you picked up two, then that's so right. If you're trying to get suspended for next week, is that right? I'll, I'll pull a Iwain. I'll get a, I'll get a second yellow at the end of the. So you don't have to go to the first. Exactly. Indeed. Um, I'm Sam Kelly. Welcome to episode 97 of Hand the Pod. And as you've already heard, I'm joined this week by English Dan. Hello. And Joel Richards. Hello. Welcome, gentlemen. We're going to be joined in a very short while, well, possibly a very short while, possibly uh, considerably later, by Dan Schweimler of um, Hand of Dan fame. We're not the only hand or something in Buenos Aires. Um, that's not a euphemism. Although, I don't think it was the euphemism. No, I'm sure there's, there's one in there somewhere if you're of a particular... <laughs> Bless you. Thank uh, you. Filthy mind. Anyway, we are here to discuss primarily Argentina's latest uh, doubleheader of World Cup qualifiers. We can probably have a look at some of the other teams as well, since everybody only played what, eight matches or something to talk about in total. Yeah. Uh, we caught some of them, not all. Um, where do we start, gents? Do we start in La Paz yesterday, where Argentina got a very impressive point against Bolivia? Or yeah, let's start in La Paz. I think that was kind of the biggest game. It was, you know, and I think, in fact, we, we must start in the past because we're hearing noises from up on high here. Uh, is, I assume that's a zombie on your roof. I would have thought so, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yes, that, that's a definite sign that the altitude of things happening above our heads. Definitely. Um, uh, and what we should talk about. I, I liked it. Good game. Argentina came into it more after, after Bolivia's goal. Um, yeah, I think what you can say is it was kind of the point that Argentina were looking for and that we all knew they would be looking for. Um, there was no need for them to really to go out and go all guns blazing for the win they've been going really well in qualifying I think we'll probably touch on a little bit later their first result but we might as well say it was um, a 3-0 win against Venezuela at home which you know was a really big leap forward in in their, in their journey towards Brazil to 2014 let's say and then this kind of this Bolivia draw was another another you know bit of a smaller step but definitely one one in the right direction and I think the most important thing was you know everyone remembered that 6-1 in 2009 absolutely and the most important thing and the most important thing was just not to have any sort of repeat of that and well it could have gone either way when uh, Marcelo Martins opened the score and it was a pretty shoddy bit of marking from the Argentine defence. I thought Clemente Rodriguez had an absolute shocker in defence. He can't play again. He can't play again because it's Absolutely. not it, the altitude's one thing, but but another is, is just the marking, and he had a particularly poor game. Just you know, the crosses and Romero was yeah. fantastic. I mean, he yeah, had yeah. three really good saves until um, he was just left. It was mm-hmm. sold out by Cero Dominguez, another player who I would just say, if, if you're going to bring in players like Clemente Rodriguez and Cero Dominguez, which I don't. In, in as much as is perhaps reason and justified 
But surely, if they're not going to play in the first game, send them up to to La Paz right. with with, yeah. the, with one of the fitness trainers and just get them acclimatised yeah. so that you've got a few players who are fresh, used to the altitude. Mm-hmm. Because we can't underestimate it. I mean, no. the players they, they arrived just a, an hour or so, two hours before the game, right? Yeah. And everyone was really struggling. I mean, there are photos of Machirano, of Messi, of Di Maria, so I mean, and it was very clear they struggled. But at the same time, I did think. I mean, I'm not going to argue tactics with Sabella, um, far, you know, certainly not my place, but I was a little bit surprised with the five at the back, yeah. not in itself, but just that, given that you need a bit more possession, mm-hmm. they basically let Bolivia I just thought run that out. For the, I think the second half was better, it was a lot kind yeah. of tighter, yeah, they sure. played a bit more proactive, but I thought the whole first half I was looking on just confused, like why, why are they just letting Bolivia, who are a very, very, very average team, and that's being generous, mm. play it, play them. Yeah. They, you know, they let them play. Yeah, and, and everyone knew that Bolivia would, would run at them and, yeah. they, and try and get the pace Bolivia. of the game up so that they, they, they suffer and they struggle with the outside course, which they did. Yeah. But I just thought if you had an extra man in midfield, there maybe would have been a bit more room to just to keep them a little bit further away. And as it was, Bolivia had loads of chances in, oh, the, yeah. in the first half an hour. Could have been 3 0. Yeah, and then Argentina are looking at a repeat of the last game. Yeah. I think the thing that I really didn't understand is that, yeah. We can talk all day about the attitude. Everyone, you know, loves to talk well, about it. The Argentines talk about it for four days. Oh, completely. Before, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But tell me the logic then of if you've got this massive physical obstacle which is going to come into play on top of the team you're going to play. Why then are the players you turn to in defence two thirty plus, you know, two thirty plus defenders? Surely. It makes more sense to put on someone young, you know. Obviously, they're not going to be used to the attitude, but at least well, they've got more in the tank. Someone like Lisandro Lopez must have been a better bet than, than but, Dominguez. Then. But in fact, I, I read, I did some reading on this. I can't remember why. It must have been connected with the previous World Cup qualifiers or, mm. or something that I was writing about four years ago. Um, and I can't remember where I read it now because, as I say, I, I was reading it about four years ago. Um, but apparently, uh, physical sort of fitness and lung capacity and stuff is only one of the sort of a multitude of um, what sort of factors that kind of feed into whether you're going to. Yeah, I think there's like a genetic disposition and stuff as well. Precisely. I'm yeah, sure so they didn't. I'm sure Clemente wasn't there because he's genetically but, better. But at no, being I, at I completely agree with that. <laughs> I mean, he certainly was one of the players who proved that he definitely isn't the case. Um, I don't think it was anything to do with physical fitness. It was just he was absolutely diabolical marking. But he Every has, time, he has, he has yeah. had a great, a great year for no. uh, for Bosco. So why was I mean, he there? It's almost picked up because he had a very poor season, which he himself admitted, um, and it, it has improved slightly in the, in the past two short seasons, as it were. But, but nonetheless, you know, there are other options at left yeah. back, and you do just wonder. And I go back to it as, as well. I mean, there, there was a group of them. Clemente, Seba Dominguez, Poncio, uh, a few others. And you think, why don't you send a group of 10 players and to go out and set up yeah. a camp in, in La Paz hmm. and acclimatise to it mm-hmm. and, and and see if that if that can work in your favour? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's exactly what... I mean, back in the 70s, there were loads of articles about this in the local press. They, they sent a team up there that was like two months preparing for the... Ghost team. Exactly, the yeah. team that was yeah. forgotten about, right? But um, <laughs> the, the, the press forgot that was, that was there at all. Um, which... But it, it's, th- th- there's only two ways of dealing with it, which is what everyone says. One is, is taking the time to acclimatise, and the other is arriving two hours before. Now, clearly, arriving two hours before happened in the 6-1, happened just yesterday. Mm-hmm. All the players struggled. So, yeah. we'll, we'll try something else. I mean, yeah. I don't for, for, to go positive for a second, though, in defence, I thought, <laughs> you know, it's not all doom and gloom. We, we started off saying it was a decent result, and now we're just 
absolutely trashing everything to do with it. I thought um, Peruzzi on the other wing, like he started a little bit. Uh, You're reading what I'm looking up. A bit shaky. I'm got my glasses. Yeah. I can't read a fucking thing. He started off a little bit shaky. I'm sure of himself, but he had um, a really big part in the move that nearly set up Di Maria for a goal. Like, mm. and then I thought he just went from strength to strength. Like, and really, really, he was one of the few guys that got in Bolivia's faces. And, and that really kind of exacerbated the fact that Clemente was having a nightmare over on the other. Yeah, in, in the other wing backs, yeah. was the fact that Gino Peruzzi was. Yeah. Um, oh, Twenty-year-old guy who's playing effectively is his first proper debut for the Argentine national team. He featured for the local selection against the Brazilian side in the Super Clasico de las Américas last September, October. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he did absolutely fine. Yeah, he was, uh, was fine. And I thought, um, sort of I thought another, yeah, I thought oh. another debutant as well. Basanto he was another guy like looks a bit unsure of himself at the start, but he ended up being probably Argentina's best defender. Yeah, yeah it's definitely I think it was the second half he made like a really decent intervention like attack work near the end Di Maria was spectacular Di Maria and, and as you yeah. said on the Palacio right well, right. well, well kept on running like deep provides on the Palacio one is just the miss yeah. which he took far too much time on and, and this was when they were one down I think yeah. and but Di Maria is now Palacio now. and Messi both had very good one-on-ones that they yeah. missed good keeping really especially yeah. the Messi one, one-on-one you'd say but nonetheless as you said, everyone was a bit like, oh, didn't really play very well, but they really could have taken the win, yeah. despite how much they struggled and, and clearly were, were, were not yeah. enjoying uh, playing in the altitude. But, but so, as you said, I mean, uh, taking a point from La Paz is pretty good. I mean, Uruguay, who have obviously just completely fallen, fallen to the wayside, but I mean, they, they were the last team to play in La Paz and lost, lost 4-1. Mm-hmm. So, all in all, pretty good result. Yeah. And what do we think about the, um, the famous webcam wanker? As Rupert Fryer loves to call him, Eva Brenega, the, the Argentine goalscorer. <laughs> Certainly not as the he, kind of midfielder you expect to be turning up in the opposing box to head in. No, definitely not. From open play. And it's, well, we have to be fair as well, the cross was from Clemente. Yeah, but he missed it. He stumbled and then missed hit it. Like. Well, yeah, it's an assist. <laughs> Just because he missed it, it's still an assist. He was there, he overlapped. Oh, I'll give him that. The yeah. assist for, the, for Bolivia's opener. And a couple more. Yeah, a couple more. Yeah. Uh, no, I thought Banega was good. Yeah, um, he's a good player. Provides maybe he's a little bit player. similar range of, of passing and creativity to Gago, and just maybe slightly more defensive solidity. Yeah. And I mean, Gago obviously was was out through injury. He yeah. played against Venezuela and, and played really, really well. Had a bit of a uh, sobre carga uh, sort of strain. Yeah. Yes, well done, John. Strain uh, in his in his thigh after that game, so he didn't travel to La Paz. And his, his absence wasn't really noted with, with Banega. No, I was surprised a bit with Benega's inclusion because you don't think of him as someone with like a um, with a really big motor in the middle. You know, he's he's more of kind of mm. a, like you know midfielder who likes to put his foot on the ball, kind of strike it around. But no, he, he faced up. I thought Bolivia probably just about shaded it in in midfield, but he definitely you know he did his part. I thought Mascherano as well was was fantastic. Immense. Considering he great considering he played yeah considering he played you know 180 minutes yeah. Yeah, and he just kept running towards the end, like really, really decent. Like, and it's great, you know. He never, never let the kind of loss of the captaincy get to him, you know, as a person. And I'd if anything, he's improved. Yeah, he's Absolutely, taken a little bit. Not that I don't think the pressure was an issue for him, but whatever, which way, whichever way you want to look at it, um, he's, I think he's definitely improved yeah. for, for for Messi having taken on the the captaincy. Yeah, no, no, no question doubt. about no it. Doubt. Absolutely. The other match, uh, which we kind of it occurred to me whilst we were talking about the Bolivia game, uh, of course, like me, uh, Mr. Schweimler, who's on his way here 
will be arriving any minute, honest, we <laughs> hope, um, was at, so we'll, we'll be asking him for his opinions again on it. <laughs> if he turns up in a minute's time, then brilliant. If he turns up in 20 minutes' time, we might have to go over some old ground. Um, but it was Argentina's 3-0 win over Venezuela, uh, during which the goals were scored by Gonzalo Higuain, who scored two and is now the top scorer in the South American World Cup qualifying, and Lionel Messi, with a goal from the penalty spot, um, who also set up both of Higuain's goals, Gents, what did you make of it watching on TV? I hope I assume you were watching on TV. Yeah, it was just a really clinical performance. I didn't think Argentina dominated Venezuela, but they just, I think, every single chance they, they had, they took, and they took well. I was impressed by Venezuela. Um, I got to the pub afterwards after the game at about one in the morning by the time I got back to San Delmo, and... We apologise, as, as we do on a weekly basis for those children. Uh, just, just, just try and ignore them. Um, and I had a, a whole bunch of Argentine uh, friends telling me, oh, you know, it was only Venezuela, they're, they're rubbish still. Sorry, they're not. They're, I mean, no, they're not. Even when they were 3 0 down, I, I, we were sitting up in the. Shut up! We were sitting up in the, the, the Belgrano Alta. Um, so the, the upper tier of the Monumental but a very kind of an eagle's eye view of the pitch so to speak and even when they were 3-0 down when Argentina came at them you could still see Venezuela laid out in these classic yeah. Alan Hansen match of the day style two backs of four just make it hard to play through them and it was precisely that Venezuela didn't give anything away even the penalty was you know wasn't some disastrous horrendous penalty uh, Defensive mistake that then had to be corrected. It was a handball, I think. Wasn't it? it was a very, very silly. Oh, sorry, it was a, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's kind of like a, yeah, a reaction yeah, elbow going out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was, just, I was impressed with the organisation, and they, they picked it up again, and then they showed last night, Tuesday night against Colombia, um, that it's it's no coincidence they, they didn't you know let some defensive indiscipline or whatever creep into the game. Well, Cesar Farias, obviously the Venezuela coach, is very much sort of a, a technician hmm. of the game, isn't he? And everyone kind of. There we are. That will yes, be okay. uh, I'll, I'll cut a couple of minutes, and in a second we will be joined by. Just right. Yeah, carry on talking if you like. Super. Uh, I was just going to say about Farias is that he's, he's everyone often says he's the Mourinho of Latin America and it's uh, so, it well it's, so it's been used yeah. since for, for years now because he's because he does have that that um, swagger if you like about him suited and booted um, talks good game he's very quite um, feisty in press conferences and but he's very organised and he's, he's studied the game and as you said uh, in terms of the organisation that's exactly what he's done because clearly apart from Juan Arango and, and arguably Maestrico Gonzalez um, and obviously Rondon there are a few players in there but in terms of the quality around the certainly the squad let alone the, the first 11 um, it, they're not up to they can't compete on an individual level but, but that's exactly it they, they've put together a good unit and they've been excellent and, and as you said they, they got a brilliant win against Colombia and with a great chance of, of qualifying for their first World Cup so you know, it's credit to the players who obviously list, trust their coach he's, he's been in, in job for quite a while now and, and he obviously knows, knows how to play so 3-0 was probably fair I think overall but very clinical as you said from Argentina and they didn't overpower them as much as maybe the 3-0 uh, reflects no absolutely I'd agree with that and we will now just cut a few seconds whilst uh, other Dan arrives and then we can get his opinions on the game as well uh, we're now going to welcome to the podcast for the first time um, Daniel Schweiber. 
It's very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, welcome. Uh, Dan is, is, as we mentioned at the, the very top of the episode before he, he got here, the top of the hour, as newsreaders almost never actually say. Um, he is the webmaster of Hand of Dan. I am indeed, yes. So it's a very quick little bit about Hand of Dan. Uh, well, I started Hand of Dan in 2009 uh, simply as a way of telling the Argentine story, I thought, from the perspective of uh, a football fan from the terraces of Argentinos Juniors. I chose them simply because they were easy to get to uh, from my house on the 113 bus, and they were neither Boca nor River. Um, the more I was there, the more I found similarities between them and teams that I followed back in the UK. Uh, West Ham primarily uh, and also Aldershot Town uh, a team I supported uh, during my youth uh, simply by the fact that um, there, is no, there are no terracing behind one of the goals so uh, the ball goes out over the top of the goal and a small boy is sent out into the high street <laughs> to retrieve it so the game can continue and they both begin with A it hadn't occurred to me but thanks for pointing that out Sam <laughs> excitement analysis this is why I host this, this podcast um, Dan, we were just talking before you arrived about Argentina Venezuela, uh, which obviously I was at, which these two watched on TV, which you were at as well, weren't you? No, I was. I went with my, uh, my two sons, uh, teenage sons, uh, simply because I thought they should be exposed to a bit of uh, a bit of Messi. Uh, also, the week after you know, the, the Vatican chooses an Argentine Pope, uh, it, is, it did seem very fitting uh, that Messi should be performing in the, uh, the cathedral, the, Mon- the Monumental. Uh, and it was truly sublime. It was the second religious experience in Argentina, I thought, within a week. It was absolutely stunning game football as it should be played uh, Messi I thought feeding the team the team feeding Messi uh, wonderful team performance enlightened I thought by uh, you know by Lionel Messi absolutely stunning his run to sell a big way in big way in second I think I know big way was he was quite like, away outside yeah. or something I mean not, not one really quite away it was, it was quite away yeah. oh well okay but detail, detail, detail. I think a detail. Yeah, I think it's up to it with a Venezuelan midfielder on the halfway line ending up tackling air after trying to take Messi out right at the very beginning of it as well. Just it would have been a shame to disallow it for something as uh, as obscure as, 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 as the offside rule. But uh, I just thought the lead-up to the, to the first goal, they were playing absolutely stunning football, Argentina. It was really just a matter of the goal, you know, when the goal was going to come. Uh, each move, you know, superseded the previous, I thought. You know, it was just slick, smooth-running football. It was, uh, say, an absolute joy to behold. Yeah, and I, I agree about this in terms of just the, the football that the team was playing because everyone's kind of saying, well, what happens if Messi gets injured, right? Because all of a sudden the game plan out the window well actually but certainly Gaga was, was sensational and he's probably as important really as, as Messi is for, for, the, for the, how the team operates and so in that sense I mean, obviously Messi would be an enormous loss but I think there's, they're, they're starting to show signs of being much more of a team than, the than they have been for well I think ever. if they were without Messi and Nuero then you would see a little bit of a difference this, this is another thing that, that then Messi never gets injured never gets suspended so we don't have to worry about it it's not a problem no absolutely because he's, he's not human no, he knows it's not planet um, but the other thing that, that I actually wrote right before coming out here for an article that may already be up on ESPN FC or it might be going up in the next few hours um, is that Argentina really shouldn't they've got Messi aside they've got a bit more depth than perhaps people give them credit for in the attack everybody just thinks of Argentina's attack as Messi, Higuain Aguero, Di Maria but of course Di Maria was um, suspended wasn't he for the Venezuelan game 
uh, whether it was out with an injury. Uh, so they were replaced by Walter Montijo and Ezequiel Lavet. See the laughs in the background because I've just cut myself uh, making a mistake. No one else gets edited. It's so unfair. Sometimes. When you say something particularly clever, I'd like to edit it out. Um, Change his voice to have him say it. gets ridiculously dubbed over yeah. as, as we're saying, those, those two were, were very impressive against Ecuador. Didn't seem to notice Agüero's and Di Maria's um, absences too much. And then against Bolivia, of course, Higuain was suspended. Di Maria came back in, but Higuain was replaced with Palacio. So Argentina, as we've said, Palacio didn't have the, the best match in terms of his, his finishing, but he was more than an able runner up front and in the altitude. Um, yeah, so not really, not kind of, they've got options, right? Yeah, yeah I yeah. thought Montisha was Montisha was excellent. He linked up really well with Messi, and he kind of brings something else to the team than than what Di Maria Di Maria brings you. Like Di Maria's, you know, fast. He's physical. He loves to beat his man. Like he has that kind of direct dimension. But Montisha's a little bit kind of more sedate. He's a bit more of a thinker on the ball, and it worked really well having that kind of axis with with Messi. I think it was the first goal where that really came through. I think it's like a little triangle of passes with them too and then feeding through Higuain when he was just making the run at the right time it was it was a fantastic move I think the key is also having a manager who knows how to play those various options any one of us given the you know the, the embarrassment of riches that Argentina has especially with attacking players any one of us could you know, scale the leagues of Europe and say well these are the 20 guys 25 guys we're going to have in our squad we can do that but how you then play Di Maria Higuain um, Aguero Tevez or whatever in the right moves adapting to the various situations to altitude to different opposition uh, you're going to have a manager who can do that who can adapt to the injuries the suspensions and hopefully Argentina now has that you know not just throwing for forward you know the five or six best players who the media thinks you know might be the guys to play he's got to be able to do that it it does look as though you know he's formed the basis of a team in which he can bring in the guys as and when they're available and adapt to circumstances yeah heaven forbid that Argentina ever appoints a manager who doesn't have a clue what he's doing Um, but would we say that Sabella has proved himself to be five goals better than Maradona after managing a (laughs) 1-1 draw in my past I think that's a very fair assessment Absolutely, excellent. Good. Um, moving really quickly on, I'm just going to very quickly whip through the other results of the South American qualifying section and then what they mean for Argentina's chances. Uh, Colombia uh, plays two matches, and we're saying two because, of course, some of the teams sat, sat one game out. Um, they beat Bolivia 5 0 in Barranquilla. Oh, I've got all the venues here as well, that's, that's handy. And then they lost 1 0 away to Venezuela, a match that I mentioned um, whilst uh, the two dams were out of the room. As I know you might have been here still actually, I understand. Um, as just pointing out really that Venezuela didn't sort of lose the discipline and start to panic after that defeat away to, to Argentina. I've, I've been impressed with them for precisely that kind of reason. Uh, Uruguay and Paraguay, the two Copa America finalists of under two years ago, who've both just fallen off a cliff, uh, drew 1 1 in Montevideo. In the second round of matches, Uruguay then uh, lost 2 0 away to Chile. Um, Paraguay got tonked 4 1 away to Ecuador. Well, I think the Paraguay result especially shows you know, the dangers of playing at altitude, what it can do to a team. You, know, you might underestimate it. Argentina went in and you might think, well. oh, you know, Argentina looked you know, really timid, really cautious. But yeah, it's exactly what happened. They, they took the lead and were looking good and then came for the second half and just fell on the, fell on the field. Jefferson Montero was terrifying as well. Jefferson Montero, isn't it? Oh, his name. I've not made yeah. a mistake now. Um, yeah, scored two sets to up. Mm. But they just got so much attacking potential uh, 
Benitez, Felipe Casero, and Montero. Like, that's three players you can you can really hurt. Yeah. Uh, Argentina Venezuela we've mentioned already of course uh, Peru got a 1-0 win over Chile which of course Chile then turned around and, and as we say beat Uruguay 2-0 uh, the that's all of them actually yeah I think we've mentioned all the results now four, five, I, I thought the, one, I mean, the four or five times where Venezuela actually got the ball against Argentina I thought they didn't look half bad you yeah. know uh, given you know they, they, previously the perennial wooden spoonist they looked like a half decent se- tie, you know, yeah. side the few times they were allowed to play so. we all thought this after the yeah. Copa America as well I think after seeing them uh, at least once or twice in the flesh each I think um, that they're clearly a side have improved enormously over the last five years ten years um, and they are no longer the minnows yeah. in South America they're really they're in the fifth, fifth place aren't yeah, they in the playoff, yeah, they playoff place playoff. Uh, I mean it would have been you know, mightily unfair but there were two occasions where Venezuela could have scored I mean Romero made a great save <laughs> and they missed mm-hmm. a, an open goal it would have, I say it would have been unjust but they could have you know, even squeezed, a, squeezed a, you know, a, draw, yeah. a draw out of that game it, you know but, uh, so uh, I think they, they definitely are a team to watch you know it's, uh, but what happened to Uruguay I mean what on earth is going on with Uruguay with the attacking potential well, they got. I was talking to a Uruguayan guy today, and it's just like basically they they won the Copa America looking good, and then they just kind of sat on their hands. There was no mm. kind of looking at how they can improve the team, what players have kind of reached their peak and need to be kind of phased out in time for the World Cup, and they they basically been, stayed with the same eleven players that were repeated from memory basically throughout the 2010 World Cup. There's, been a, the Copa there's been a little bit of a tactical switch since because they, they had a disastrous Olympics as well, didn't they? Yeah. And, and since then, Tavares has, has switched the tactics around a bit, but the personnel is still basically the same. He's still yeah. playing his 30 odd year olds. Yeah, uh, Lugano and Godin, the two Diegos in uh, yeah. in the middle of the fence, yeah. had an absolute shock against Chile. Didn't seem to know what the other one was doing. Lugano was gets the assist, doesn't he, for one of the goals? Because he he went up to try and clear and just skimmed off his head and, yeah. and, and put it put it through. So uh, I think Godin had the had the assist for the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And and, and actually, looking at the the remaining fixtures for Uruguay, the, the last game against Argentina at home, but then before they've got Ecuador, I think away. I think they've got Colombia as well. So I mean, yeah. I mean, very difficult running as well. I mean, the only thing is that. I mean, if you go back a few years, obviously Argentina helped out Uruguay to get that final playoff position, just playing out the last half an hour. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I mean, it's not completely out of the cards, of the, or, you know, out of uh, yeah. possibilities that that happens again. But for that to happen, Uruguay have got completely transformed their their form. Um, I, mean, I don't know about tactics. I mean, obviously, we're not going to you know, criticise Oscar Tavares uh, for for not knowing what, what he's doing, but. You just wonder how, how can you turn it around so quickly because ultimately they've got to take nine points from and the other thing is on, all on offer. As, as guest Dan has already mentioned, they've, they've got a tremendous attack potentially, but Luis Suarez is going to be suspended for at least the next game, possibly the next two or three. Well, I, I haven't but seen what's happened today. Well, well, no, no, yeah, sure. I mean, he punched uh, Hada, wasn't it? In the yeah. uh, but what's happening though? I mean, can he be suspended for? Um, it's fine. I think he surely can, yeah. 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 So, two or three, yeah. three Another sign of their frustration. It doesn't take much for Suarez yeah. to lose his temper, yeah. but uh, you know, I think a real sign of, of the fact that things, you know, things are going very wrong for them. Um, what these uh, results mean in terms of the standings with Argentina are now nine points ahead of Venezuela, who, as we say, are fifth place in the playoff position, which means that. If they, if Argentina beat Colombia in the next game in Buenos Aires, uh, sorry, not in Buenos, somewhere in Argentina, not in Newell's Old Boys Stadium, 
That's the only thing no, we know for sure. Can't go there. Uh, we will discuss that in, in a sec. Well, no, we can discuss it now. Lionel Messi wanted to play there. They asked FIFA whether they could. FIFA said no. The stadium's not up to scratch. Um, and that's that. It'll be somewhere in Argentina. That's a home game. It's a uh, blessing for all the supporters as well. Yeah, has got uh, Rosario. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the personal safety, not not travelling or anything like that, but personal safety. It's not to fake the least, you mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, they, they could end up playing in Central Ground still, because that is FIFA. Well, that would be a Well, completely take that all, up, all that back. I'm not sure how happy Messi would be with that, given that he wants to play in <laughs> <laughs> All I do is be like, it. yeah, a little bit of a compromise. You can play in the Central Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was scheduled to be back at the Monumental if it was not going to be. I, I hope that it is. Yeah, so I think that was um, the plan, having done so the, like the, yeah. the Provincias. And yeah, if, so. if Argentina win that game, which of course Colombia are. Very good side themselves. Um, but if Argentina do get a win there and other results go their way, they can guarantee at least the playoff place in that match. And then they could, if they can avoid defeat in, Ecuador, in Quito um, against Ecuador a few days later, it's mathematically possible that they can secure qualification um, with what would be three games to play still. Uh, so they're going fantastically. Ecuador, Colombia on 20 and 19 points with 10 games played only. And then Chile, Venezuela, level on 15, Uruguay on 13, Peru on 11. Bolivia and Paraguay still in single figures but I, to be honest I think that the five the top five are going to be the current top five the, the form that everybody's been showing so far you don't think Uruguay or squeak in I've got a feeling no. they'll get the player I, I don't think they can yeah. I mean I, I think Paraguay's got a trick up and say I, I don't think they will uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me but I just I can't sort of see it I think it's going to be a battle between Uruguay and Chile I think Venezuela will, will overtake Chile but uh, I think Chile-Uruguay battle for that fifth place which will, which will be interesting You heard it here first put all of your savings on Venezuela to qualify automatically <laughs> for the World Cup They've already lost their savings from following your meditative <laughs> Thank you very much Everyone who listens to Hand the Pod's skin yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, playing for the memory of Hugo, they're playing for the memory of Hugo Chavez as well I think he's yeah. guiding them from on high well, he was very important in in the yeah. in the rise of Venezuelan yeah. football. As I said last week, yeah, or the yeah, week yeah, before, exactly. yeah. I mean, invested so much. So, so you're right. See with the a plan for Uber. Uh, we're going now to just play some music very quickly, recharge our glasses. Well, the two of us who are drinking for that can recharge our glasses. Why that? I'm going to recharge my glass, and then we will come back and just talk very quickly about this next round of matches in the Primera, because there are something like 12 derbies coming up this weekend which considering there are only 10 matches is just gives you some idea of how packed with Classicos this coming weekend is so don't go anywhere weekend we've got as I say a ridiculous number of Clásicos coming up for round 7 of the Donnell Final um, we're pretty much just going to sort of run through what they all are and then get on to questions I think because we don't yeah. have an awful lot of time uh, Dan has to get away quite uh, English Dan has to get away quite quickly uh, but the Clásicos coming up this weekend are Argentinos versus All Boys which given that we've got a real life Argentinos member in the house we'll talk very briefly about in a second uh, Independiente versus Boca, San Martín versus Godoy Cruz, um, 
and according to some very deeply peculiar people who I've seen on Twitter, Lanus versus Kilmes, which is not really a no, classic one anyway. Wrong but they're both with the <laughs> Zona Sor and they're both just outside of Echenada, so hey, let's just lump it. <laughs> and Wikipedia um, doesn't count for this. No. So it doesn't matter if it says it on Wikipedia, it's not right. No, I know that. Lanus, Kilmes are not. No, I can think of Sor Boys definitely is a classical, regardless of what YouTube told me last week. Is it not done? It's becoming a classical, yeah. No, I, think always, a, I, I think it's a new classical. Uh, I've always resisted Argentinas against Vélez being called a classical. I mean, the real classico is Argentinos against Platense, but obviously that hasn't happened for a long time, you know, given the uh, Dar Straits of Platense in these days. But All Boys is 30 blocks away now, that yeah. is Conte, you know, it's a three kilometer walk. Uh, down literally the same street. Down the, street, yeah, down the same yeah. street, down Alvarez Conte. And All Boys fans will be walking, you know, down Alvarez Conte to, to the Argentinos uh, stadium, as did Argentinos fans in, in the other direction the last time they played. So it's becoming a classical. You know, at the moment there's no bitterness, there's no nastiness. It's all fairly amicable uh, now. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, 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 it, it, it can all change. There's time. It can all change. Then we'll call it. First time someone dies, it'll be a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. One, one of the big things with Argentinos was that in the same week that the Argentine Pope was uh, was announced, we had the ultimate smoke seller. Uh, in La Paternal, smoke cellar being an Argentine, um, an English translation of an Argentine phrase for somebody who likes to blow his own trumpet. Like, I suppose uh, Ricardo Carlos Lombardi has been announced as Argentinos manager. He got a quite impressive point away to Boca Juniors two, yeah. well, it feels two weeks ago from the weekend that we're, we're talking about now, at least a week and a half ago. Um, in La Bonera in his first match are you happy with his appointment? No? I think many of the fans are not the last time I saw I can't remember he's been to so many clubs I can't remember the last time he was second spell it, it, it yeah. is and he was none too popular last time round um, I remember standing behind the dugout uh, when he was with a visiting team could it have been Tigre I'm not yeah, sure yeah, yeah. Tigre and listening I mean, surrounded by Argentina's juniors fans hurling abuse at him the whole game rather than watching them yeah incredible incredible list of clubs he's been that's uh, so none too popular but I guess given the, uh, the situation that Argentina's juniors are in bottom or second bottom of the, from the table just two points three goals scored in, in six games and as you say that, that very impressive 1-1 uh, draw away to Boca he can win the fans over with a few results I think so um, you know they need something at the moment Ricardo Caruso Lombardi's former clubs as manager since 1994 Defensor de Belgrano, Sportivo Italiano, Estudiantes de Buenos Aires, Temperley, Sportivo Italiano, Estudiantes de Buenos Aires, Platense, El Porvenir, All Boys, Tigre, Argentinos Juniors, Newell's Old Boys, Ferrocarril, Quisa, Racing, Tigre, Quilmes, San Lorenzo, and now back with Argentinos. I'm exhausted. Nice little. Nice I mean, what's his problem? I feel like I've just played a football match in the past. I'm out. Does he, have a, does he have a body odor problem? I mean, what is, you know. What, what, certainly, yeah. having gone through all those platense and all boys yeah. and our kids, yeah, he's again, not too bothered about upsetting families. Oh, yeah. no. I mean, will he just simply, does he simply work for whoever asks him whether, wherever there's a vacancy at the time? You know, yeah, that's so, pretty much But if he gets results, then uh, I guess the fans will, uh, you know, will be happy. We shall see. We shall see. And we'll see in a few minutes what Mystic Sam thinks about it. But we're now going to move very quickly on to your listeners' questions, of which, mercifully, we've only got a few to get through. Um, the first is from bloody hell. How far down have we got to go? Um, ah, right. Craig Clark has sent us an Argentino Juniors themed one. Dan, because I said that you were going to be here. Was Nicolas Medina always likely to flop at Sunderland because we had such high hopes about it? 
I have to look up Nicolas Medina. I, I must admit, he's not one. He's not one who left a big impact on Argentina's juniors. Uh, I mean, was it just the case of you know? It's always useful to have impressive to have an Argentine player in your squad. I don't know. So, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think perhaps it was always doomed to failure. Yeah. So, given that he certainly didn't uh, set any fireworks off in, in Argentinos. No, um, I, I had to, as I say, I had to look him up and he moved from Argentinos direct to Sunderland in about 2007 or something, so mm-hmm. relatively recent, certainly since I've been following Argentine football and I wasn't sure who he was, so that gives you some idea. Um, Tom Robinson asks what are Dan's thoughts on Gaspari Niguez, who's one of the kind of real promises of young players in, in Argentinos squad at the moment um, which other youngsters are worth watching out for at Argentinos I mean the thing is there's always youngsters worth looking out for Argentinos juniors you know it's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's an interesting mixture of guys in their early to mid 30s and a lot of 17 18 year olds you know coming through the you know the semigiro um, again another reason why it's always worth watching Argentinos juniors a lot like West Ham I hasten to add you know a lot of great players coming through the youth squads uh, and given their chance to shine you know in the first team so how many um, World Cups have Argentinos won in comparison with West Ham uh, they've won the Copa Libertadores, you know. So, oh, no, so yes, yeah, so, oh, World Cup. Uh, yes, yeah, so, well, yeah, Maradona, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so what? Yeah, so they're level, they're level, yeah. level terms yeah. on that one. So. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the, the semi-shadow at Argentinos Juniors is, is really very important because I mean, I mean, Boca, the Macri Boca, when he when he, they bought basically half of the uh, the youth team, which included Juan Ramon Riquelme, mm. and obviously um, Maradona was four times top scorer in the league before going to Boca. So I mean, they, they, neither of them are, are Boca Juniors youth team players. Right. Um, and of the players at the moment, I think Matias Lava, the midfielder, is one of the, the players. I think, there, 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 Lava's, yeah. I think, yeah. I think he's the under 20 captain, right? Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. And Lava stayed, he's been there for a yeah, couple of yeah, seasons exactly. as well. So, again, the key always is holding on to your promising youngsters. And Lava, you know, to his credit, has stayed there. Whether he'll be there next season, who knows? Unlikely, I would, mm. I would have thought. But while he's there, he's certainly shining. Mm. And also, Sergio Batista's son is uh, yeah, you know, uh, in the defence. Nico, Nico Batista is uh, promising. And a couple of decent goalkeepers, you know, Nerio Fernandes and, and Luis Ojeda, you know, a couple of good keepers, I think. And Real Fernandes is easy to forget that he's quite as young as he is, so it seems to, in goalkeeping terms at least, it seems to have already been around for quite a while. Well, Fernandes, uh, yeah, I mean, Ojeda's only in his early 20s, yeah. uh, 22, 23, I think, so uh, um, always looks a little short when you first, for a goalkeeper, when you first see him, but very agile, you know, and a uh, very competent goalkeeper. So, again, the, the joy is that he stayed there for two or three seasons. Mm-hmm. Your hand upon word of the week this week, by the way, is semi-shero. That's like the Argentine uh, version of what the Spaniards call a cantera, which is what probably most of our international listeners will be. Would you say it's like a seedling bed? Seedling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the Spaniards yeah. use the word quarry, and in Argentina it's the seed. is a little bit more poetic. And yeah, it's nice. It makes you think of flowers instead of rooks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or at least soy. Um, Ale Miranda asks, would you care to share your opinion on Lanús defender Osvaldo Vizcarrondo? He did very well for Venezuela in yesterday's match versus Colombia. He did very well against Argentina as well. I said on last week's podcast that he was out for three weeks. Uh, injured that's because that was what was being reported on the day that we recorded last week and it turned out now for three weeks injured actually meant perfectly fit to play this Friday four days later Um, he's very good very good offender yeah very strong yeah doesn't mess around he's not commanding he's not the the kind of guy who's going to you know well win or draw you a match on his own with a a sort of leading the defence but he's more than capable of of getting his teammates out of trouble and things last last gasp stuff yes 
the best way that I can think of, of, of putting it. Um, yeah, it always helps moving to the league leaders. I mean, he was at Limbo before. He was brought over yeah. by Limbo mm-hmm. when they were trying to... Um, well, were they in the second division already? No, they were in Primera, I think. Yeah, in Primera, right? That's right. And he was, Primera the idea was trying, to, trying to help them stay up, uh, which didn't work. But obviously, it wasn't just his fault, but, uh, but no, he's looked very impressive. At, at well, he saved them for one year, right? They kept him out one year. Uh, he has how long? When did he come over? Has he been in for? He's been playing for three really. years already. Right, so. I think he was in Olimpo the first year they were up oh, okay. when they stayed with up. De Felipe. With De Felipe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. 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 He's got partial to a um, pink bandana as well, which is controversial, but he pulls it off. (laughs) That was a head bandage, wasn't it? He's been, uh, he was with Olimpo in 2011, then he went to America in Mexico in 2012, and almost immediately back to Lanus. Um, So, yes, he he was with Olimpo when they... No, when they got Rosario. Although he did have have a season with Rosario Central, according to Wikipedia, as well, 2007-08. So he's been in longer than we think. There we go. Um, next question is Tom Robinson says it's nice to see Rodolfo Arrua Barrena. I'm rolling my R's as much as I possibly can here. Back in management with Nacional of Uruguay. How do we think he'll do there? Nacional announced him, I think, yesterday or the day before. Um, I was saying, yeah, I was saying the other day to um, to Rupert, who I was working with for the Argentina Bolivia game, I think. It's Rupert Fryer. Rupert Fryer, uh, who always complains when we don't mention him. But he's got the mention now. I think I mentioned yeah. him twice already today. So mm. there you go. But yeah, Rua Buena is a perfect, uh, perfect move for him. Like really good stage. Nacional they've struggled a bit domestically, but they're they're top of their Libertadores group at the moment and looking pretty decent to qualify. They've got a really, really quite strong team for for the Uruguayan league with a couple of like aces in the. Ice in the hole, Ricova and uh, Abril. So uh, why is it they've been struggling? I mean, in, I think in the league particularly. Mainly obviously. because they've been put in priority in, in the Luetadores and just because, you know, teams lose games. It sure. yeah, happens. It's his first job at a really, really big club yeah, as well. And it is a big club. But it's only his second yeah, job, right? right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, he was at TV there yeah, as, right. as, as, yeah, as, many, as many Argentine uh, coaches have started out I mean Diego Cania started out there as well and Barena really got an excellent reputation from that and yeah. very much in, in a certain t- style of trying to play passing good, yeah. good attacking football which is interesting in the Nacional we're apparently also looking at Falcioni Julio Falcioni as, as the coach and yeah. you do wonder there in that case just what are they after what are they kind of looking at? I mean, if the, <laughs> I mean if, if, if the conditions are just simply that it's an Argentine coach then that's fine um, if they're looking to play sort of like more attacking football or just get results then obviously they've gone with the former, but I mean, he, I think he proves, think, he proves that yeah. he's very competent. And yeah. I think Nacional have always, always kind of tended towards these more attacking coaches. They had um, Marcelo Gallardo, who was obviously like brilliant attacking midfielder in his day, and he kind of brought yeah, in a he lot of that. Out there, yeah. yeah, and he brought a lot of that into their play. Like really used uh, Ricoba well and mm-hmm. used him as the number ten, like really kind of pure South American footballer. So, and took the league there before I think. I can't remember why he left. If he fell out with the board, or he just thought his um, his cycle had been completed. But yeah, I think Arroa Buena it's a great move for him and uh, and a good move for Nacional. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we have a question from Daniel Chavez who asks who is our favourite Colombian attacker in Argentina. In Argentina. Uh, as a few examples, he gives Duván Zapata, Carlos Cal- Carlos Carbonero. Uh, Juan Caicedo Jonathan Copete can we think of any others who do we like nah I thought it was brilliant when Caicedo the other day clean through and goal just decided to kick the grass instead of <laughs> instead of score uh, that the ingratiated words, the words of a Racing fan Caicedo yeah, playing, of course but I like 
I mean, I like Zapata. Yeah, Sebastian's good. I like uh, Copetti. He's shown himself to be a bit of an uneven performer, I think, at the moment. He's come back from injury, didn't he? He's gone yeah, and then ruptured his knee straight away. Since so. he's come back, he's like, I've seen him really shine, and he's had a, also a couple of kind of um, not so great games, but I think he's a real promise. What is he, like 20, 21? Yeah, I think he's 20. Oh, yeah. He's young, so. No, they're all, they're all pretty, pretty decent, like. As we, worth as we say, we're having to whip through these quickly, so apologies for not giving you quite as in-depth an answer as you'd like, Daniel. Uh, but I think certainly myself and English Dan seem to agree on, on Zapata yeah. uh, for consistency. Yeah, very good player. Um, Cabernet as well for what he's done. Yeah, Cabernet. He really did. Real I think he was line, the yeah. key for them when they won the title. Yeah, Him and Lisandro Lopez and Berdiso, like those three really were, were fantastic all season. Well, we have my friend Santiago, the, the real-life Arsenal Desaradí fan on a couple of weeks ago. He, he kind of said that one of the, the peculiarities of Arsenal is that somehow, in inverted commas, I, due to their connections, they managed to keep hold of certain players who do very, very well, yeah. longer than you'd normally expect. Well, he's still mine, right? To, to From Estudiantes. He is. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I think he's, he's permanent now. He was oh, on loan for the season, then he went back yeah. to Estudiantes, fell out with the board almost yeah. immediately, and they sold him to, to yeah. Arsenal. Um, and he's, he's a fantastic example of one who really, if Arsenal were not <laughs> linked with the people they're linked with, might not be there still. Um, so cynical. So cynical, yeah. These are the words of an Arsenal fan that I'm reporting. It's, it's not me saying this. Honest. Uh, Chris Sullivan asks, well, I'd like to hear Argentina's left-back options for the World Cup. Obviously, we were talking about how disastrous Clemente was. Yeah, earlier, so who else have we got? Marcos Rojo? I think it's between Rojo, uh, Urban. Urban. Sanchez Mino is just coming back from injury yeah. and also I think uh, if what we saw from Peruti and La Paz is anything to go for go from we might well see him go you know become a fixture on the right and Zabaleta switch to the left sure. so I think Zabaleta like, I'm not his biggest fan but I think he's more than, he's more than solid enough to, yeah, to be in the team like, any, any thoughts Dan? I mean, Sabaleta, I thought, was was incredibly impressive against Venezuela. I mean, I thought he really could have stamped his authority on the game in many ways. He was there, he was just there when they needed him. So, as you say, incredibly versatile, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it's great to have a fullback in your team yeah. playing by flanks. Yeah, yeah. He's not exactly the new Sanetti, but he's, he's not. He's good, good enough. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's having hair changing issues. Not like, unlike Sanetti, of course. So yeah, he's, he's not using it in that. He's simply silky. He's not got the portrait of Zorian Gray in his <laughs> attic. <laughs> um, finally, I think. Oh no, we've got two more very quickly. Uh, Eddie asks, "What's the weight of public expectation on the Argentine national team? Is there a rabid local press? Is there fan unity behind the national team?" Yes, uh, yes, and yes, I'd say there is, yeah. and, and, and growing as yeah. well. I think that kind of fervor of the fans, you know, very cynical uh, fans in general, but I think they're winning them over. You know, I think the recent yeah. performances, you know, even the one-one draw against Bolivia, I think it yes, they're really, well. yeah, they're really winning. You know, they're seen yeah. as an intelligent team. You know, previously um, that might yeah. have been the kind of thing that said, "Oh God, we're only drawing." Yeah, yeah. And, and I always find the fans here to be very philosophical. I don't think they raise their hopes too much. You know, elimination from previous World Cups, I expected yeah. devastation. Mm-hmm. And they were, I always found the Argentines to be quite philosophical, shrugging the shoulders, and, you know, could have been better, but, you know, let's move on. Yeah. Like, I was always, yeah, exactly. I was always surprised by how well yeah. they've, they've taken defeat in the past, and, you know, expectations are sensible. Mm-hmm. As an addendum to that, Eddie asks, uh, well, he doesn't ask, he just sort of continues. He says, in comparison to, for example, Scotland, which is where I'm from, we're shite and we know we are. <laughs> and England, of course, continually overhyped. Uh, couldn't agree more. I think there is a certain degree, particularly in the press, of 
hyping Argentina, but when you've got Lionel Messi on your team, it's very difficult to overhype. Them. I, mean, I, would say, I would say under. I would say yeah, under. Yeah, I, I, I think, Messi yeah, gets yeah. massively hyped, but yeah. the rest of the team it kind of flies under radar. I think yeah. Iguain for one is massively underrated. Mm. And that they scored twenty goals in thirty-two games. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's yeah. Getting up to Manchester United. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, just on the Scotland point, a friend of mine was watching the game uh, against Wales, I think, in Inverness, and apparently the barman said, um, "Scotland aren't shy. We need to improve to be shy." <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Scottish listener, we apologise. Well, it's kind of from the Maybe we'll say what you know. Inverness maybe. barman. Yeah. yeah. Um, ear lock it up. It's one of the best Twitter handles that I've had to um, say on this podcast so far asks were we talking about the national team at all yes a little a little bit yeah that's a quick answer and Luis Bessone a frequent question asker on Hand of Pod asks uh, what's the status of Argentina Colombia possibly occurring in Rosario or Del Coloso del Parque we've covered that one already the it's answer is no basically no. FIFA say no so it ain't going to happen what's wrong with Le Pregnante though why isn't he calling it the, the official name uh, well, Lepra Granate is the Twitter, the app, but his yeah. name, which is what I... I no, oh, sorry, you're asking why you're yeah, 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 Yes. Of course, uh, that's Very, a question uh, for him I mean, to ask. Yeah. Terrible disrespect for him. Please let us know, Luis, why you'd, why you'd um, slander <laughs> Bielsa when not calling him the stadium after. <laughs> He's going to be your next manager, so... <laughs> With a bit of luck. Um, we're now going to play Mystic Sam's theme music and I will come back and I'll very quickly tell you what to bet your pocket money on this weekend in all of those enormous number of derbies um, and then we'll be off so don't go anywhere Okay, last week I predict. Well, last last round of the uh, torneo final, I predicted a lot of draws, and I don't think I've gone for very many at all this week. Do we have the strike rate from last week, please? Uh, well, last week's was the World Cup qualifiers, and I've oh, got right. I think, one before that. I think most of them I got all right. The, the previous week we counted up on on air, and it was four out of ten, <laughs> which is oh. dead average, basically. <laughs> uh, that was the average kind of set by Aussie Dan, right? Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's also what I, what I found is actually fairly respectable since trying to predict them myself for, for Hong Kong but here we go uh, Columbus Tigre I'm going for an away win for Tigre um, Belgrano to beat Arsenal de Sarandi in Cordoba going for Argentinos to get a Caruso Lombardi inspired win yes in the well, good, good, good on you yeah I agree with you there you don't First want Sam to tell you that River Plate to keep up impressive home form with a win against Vélez Southfield in the Monumental Racing I apologise English Dan because I'm predicting them to win in La Plata I against can't argue too much for that no. <laughs> uh, Independiente v Boca to be a fairly dull draw or well possibly an exciting draw I'm just saying a draw actually but I think it's going to be dull come on Boca win um, so really I'm hoping mm. of course you're hoping yeah but do you really want me to predict it in that case no. uh, San Martin San Martin versus Godoy Cruz I think Godoy Cruz is going to get that win in the, the Antino Clasico um, San Lorenzo versus Newell's to be a Newell's old boys win Union and here's something I never thought I'd predict Union to get a win away to Atletico Rafaela they've just been too good over the last three games I'd like to see how many games in the last year say you've, you've predicted to go to so would I yeah. um, I'm pretty sure this would be the first in a good yeah. nine months <laughs> um, and Lanús v Kilmes no brainer isn't it surely Kilmes win that's what I'm going to say uh, Lanús win we will be back 
next week to discuss uh, QMS' impressive 5-0 dismantling of the league leaders and many other things I'm sure that are going to happen this weekend on Hand of Pods in episode 98. For now, gentlemen, um, English down. Goodbye. Uh, and from Joel. Goodbye. And thank you very much for turning up eventually. Uh, for <laughs> yeah. A pleasure. We hope to have you on again at some okay. point, hopefully for the entire show. Um, and from me, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.